on the record on news talk Thanks very much, Trevor. Welcome back. It's Gavin Riley filling in for Kieran Cuddy on On the Record this afternoon. 53106 is the number for your texts. We're also on Twitter at Newstalk FM and I'm at Gav Riley. Now, this was the week where the Eighth Amendment was formally repealed. There is no longer a constitutional ban on abortion, but there have been some doubts raised this week about the timetable for introducing new services and when abortions might actually be available in Ireland. So to discuss that and more, we're now joined in studio by the Minister for Health, Simon Harris. Minister, thanks for coming in. Just before we discuss abortion, though, one other timetable that is of note that I wanted to, to get you to speak about. Um, the ongoing review of cervical check smear tests being carried out by the Royal College of Obstetricians and Gynaecologists. Uh, there are some perhaps legal court cases that might be tied up in the outcome of those. Some question marks about the standards of some of the laboratories being used. Uh, where is that review and when can we expect to see its results? Okay, so I think the first thing it's very important to say is that when Dr. Scali examined the labs that we're using uh, in the screening programme, he said that they're safe. He said that they should continue to be used. So in terms of providing reassurance to women who've had smears and women who might be listening to this programme today thinking of going for their smear next week, the labs being used are safe and are of good quality. When obviously the entire cervical check uh, debacle broke Mm. in relation to the audit and the failure to disclose to women, we did decide to provide women with extra reassurance. Uh, They offered that the Royal College of Obstetricians and Gynaecologists in the UK could review their could review their slides to give them an independent, if you like, or an external view. And mm. um, that's expected to take a number more months. Um, it is an external process. It's a process independent of me. So women have been getting letters um, over the last number of weeks. Uh, basically, a letter has gone to any woman who's had cervical cancer who has a screening history. And that's about 1,800 women and giving them the opportunity to say, yes, I'd like to partake or no, I wouldn't. This is entirely a woman's choice as to whether a woman wishes to do this for more reassurance or not. But it will be into 2019 before that's concluded. So it'll take that long for some of those people to have some sort of concrete indication as to whether there may have been a question of negligence in the reading of their cases? Yeah, but I think we, do, I think we just need to be, I think we need to be slightly careful because obviously we now know something that we didn't know when the ORCOG process was considered considered in the first instance, then that is that Dr. Scally has had a team of people visit labs and has said that the labs being used by the Irish Screening Service are safe. So in terms of women looking for reassurance, that should come as great reassurance. But obviously the external reassurance and the extra reassurance that we offered is still available through the ORCOG process. Okay. Uh, the timetable for providing abortion services now that the Eighth Amendment has been formally repealed, there is no longer a constitutional ban. Uh, you intend to bring the legislation to give effect to that through Cabinet this coming Tuesday, that's right? I do. Cabinet will actually meet this Thursday. Um, just, just, just a difference. I think the Taoiseach is, is in New York okay. uh, visiting the UN, so it'll be Thursday day of this week uh, I intend to present the final bill uh, to Cabinet uh, quite frankly, there won't be any surprises in it because I took and the government took a very conscious decision. Uh, and we were asked by a lot of people, people like yourselves in the media, uh, doctors, women, would you please publish the details of mm. what this would look like? If I go into the polling station and vote yes or no, I'd like to know what I'm voting for. What would you put in its place if we repealed the Eighth Amendment? So we published a very detailed scheme saying these are the grounds that we would uh, legislate for abortion on. Other grounds would not be legal in Ireland. And here's how, here's how we envisage it working. Huge level of detail. That was debated extensively during the referendum. So mm. I feel I feel a duty, I suppose, uh, to now move ahead with the bill uh, as, as published and, in advance of the that, referendum. that included one issue which was uh, criticised some this week by some doctors who were appearing before the Oireachtas Health Committee, namely the idea of having a 72-hour waiting period mm. or cooling off, whatever you might like to call it, where a woman presents looking for a termination and it's 72 hours before it's administered or made available to her. Uh, Peter Boylan from the Institute of Obstetricians and Gynaecologists said that that, in essence, is unnecessary and that it casts questions over a woman's ability to make decisions for her own body and her own future. Uh, What do you say in reply to that? 
Well, I say that people like Dr. Boylan and someone I have huge time for would have campaigned for a yes vote, uh, knowing that that was in the legislation and would have indeed um, spoken, I'm sure, about it during, during the campaign as we all worked to achieve a yes vote. Look, we're, as a country, we've come from a period of 35 years of waiting for women. 35 years of waiting for this point to provide women uh, with care in their own country. It is not unusual um, in the Irish Health Service in general or indeed in any other health service that when you go to see your doctor for an initial consultation that a period of time elapses before you get the procedure, whatever that may be. It's not unusual. In fact, it's only usually in emergency medicine that procedures happen there and then on the spot. But if an expert obstetrician of the standard of Peter Boylan says that it's not necessary in cases like this, then why do you have to remain wedded to it? Because that's what I told the Irish people we're going to do. I mean, I, th- I think, you know, your word counts for something here. Um, you know, a lot of people who campaigned for a no vote said, don't trust those politicians because if you vote yes, uh, they'll, they'll say they'll do this, but they'll actually go into the doll and do something else. I have no intention of being one of those politicians. I told the Irish people, along with many, many, many other people uh, in civic society and in the Oireachtas, if you vote yes, here is the bill. This is the bill I'll produce. I debated it live in television studios, radio studios, around the country at meetings, uh, anywhere and everywhere I could, I debated it and debated passionately why I believed this bill was good for women and good for providing women-centred care. Dr. Boylan and others absolutely need to be listened to. And I think where they should be listened to is in terms of how that period uh, operates. So let me just say two points on that. In Germany, in Italy, in Belgium, in Luxembourg and in other countries, you do have a period of time between your initial consultation and the second. What we do need to work out... Sorry to to interrupt you. What is the purpose of that period? Is it to perhaps uh, assuage a woman if she's having second thoughts or what is the reason behind that? Not at all. Like remember, up until the Eighth Amendment was repealed, it was illegal for a woman to have a conversation with her doctor about about her options, including termination as an option. We now have a situation, thankfully, where a woman can see her doctor get advice, be advised on all the options and then within three days um, carry out the termination if that's the woman's wish. So if, if we believe there's value in an engagement between the woman and the doctor, I, I, think, I think that's perfectly logical. The other thing we've got to remember is informed consent, you know, is a medical principle um, whereby you, you as the woman in this case or you as a patient in any case, you go to your doctor, you get all of your options, you think through your options and then you make your decision. And I do have to make the point, you know, countries like Germany, like Italy, like Belgium, like Luxembourg, um, or also have similar periods. So this is not an unusual thing to have. And I don't think it should be seen as, as a thing, you know, that this is just because women are involved. Again, the same is the same is true for, for male procedures. If you went to see your doctor today, unless it was emergency medicine, you're unlikely to have a procedure uh, on the spot. There generally is a time between uh, the initial consultation and the procedure. Now, what we have to do and what I want to work with Dr. Mm. Boylan and the medical colleges to make sure we do is that it's operable, that it's practical, that no woman is in any way uh, prevented from accessing uh, free, safe and legal uh, termination in this country. Well, and the way you do that, I suppose, emergency provision. So let's just say if a doctor saw a woman who and there was a suspicion of domestic violence, it might have been very difficult for that woman to get to the doctor. You can't say to that woman, come back to me again in three days. So, you know, there has to be, this has to be thought to practically and I need clinicians' help uh, on how to make that work. Well, an- another practical note, and this is something that was again raised at the Oireachtas Health Committee on Wednesday, is the idea that, as you've outlined, you'd like this to be GP-led. So if somebody's first port of call, uh, they would like it, you would like it to be that they're GP and their GP talks you through the options, as you've said. Um, but it is the case, and we again heard this week, that 60% of all GPs aren't taking on new patients. So that seems to present a very immediate barrier for someone who might, you know, be needing this sort of healthcare for the first first time and it may not have a relationship with a GP. 
No, well, I think the first thing to say is these are not new patients. These are women known to doctors right across the country. There are our family, there are our relatives, there are neighbours, there are friends. They're already no, registered but not at every, GP but not practices. But not everyone is registered at a GP's practice. I'm not registered at a GP's practice. Yeah, so broader issue in relation to GP services, which I'm happy to discuss, which I believe requires putting significant investment into making general practice more sustainable. And I want to see that happen. And I want to see progress made on that in the coming weeks. I think, though, too, not not suggesting you're doing this, but mm. I think, though, to conflate broader issues uh, with, with termination wouldn't be fair because this is a relatively small number of women every year in our own country who find themselves in a crisis. And up until now, we've been saying, go to another country. We're burying our heads in the sand here. We're not addressing it. We're not going to do that anymore. So what we are going to do, and let me be very clear on this, and let me let me assure GPs in relation to this as well as women, we're going to resource general practice to provide this. I mean, this 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 bringing in these services does require resources. And I want people to know that the government knows that and we are going to adequately resource GPs and indeed our maternity hospitals to provide this. You have also said that you want to make sure that there's enough resources to provide this for women who are coming from north of the border. And they are women who won't have a relationship with a GP in the south. That's true. But I believe I believe the numbers um, the numbers are not massive. I mean, the Irish Health Service sees many, many hundreds of thousands of patients uh, through the course of a year through a variety of mechanisms. Uh, you're talking about, you know, I, I just don't, I'm not just not sure the same arguments would be made if we were talking about introducing a health service for a man or if we were talking about other health issues. This is a health service that is needed. Uh, up until now, we've been telling women we can't provide it here. We now legally can. We, and the way you do it is the same way you provide any extra service. If we wanted to do more diabetes checks in general practice, you'd provide more resources. You resource general practice to adequately provide this. You've set a, a target of having all of this in place and, and operable by January. Is that a realistic target, given what we heard this week? And even, for example, when you take the HPV vaccine, which you're rolling out in, to counter the, the cervical check crisis, um, that was originally intended to be introduced later this year. It's now not going to be because there are operational reasons why you can't roll it out. Uh, we heard from Dr. Kleena Murphy this week uh, from the Institute of Obstetricians and Gynaecologists. She said, if you're rolling out a vaccination, you would need more time than you're going to need to introduce a brand new discipline of healthcare in Ireland, which has not been practised before. So how, under those circumstances, can you confidently feel that you're going to have this service in place by January? Uh, because I noticed that not one of those uh, witnesses at the health committee said it was not possible. They all used phrases like it'll be very challenging. Um, it's an ambitious timeline. Absolutely, it is a challenging and ambitious timeline. But after women in this country have waited 35 years to repeal the Eighth Amendment, it's up to all of us to step up to that challenge. So I intend to meet with the medical colleges in the next couple of weeks. I look, I think the way I look at this is there's three things that have to happen. There's a law that has to be passed. There's resources that have to be provided. And there's clinical guidelines that have to be put in place. Clinical res- guidelines aren't within your control, are they? That's, that's within the medical that's profession exa- itself. That's exactly the point I was going to make. I'm responsible with colleagues in government and the Oireachtas for the first two. So we will pass the law with the cooperation of the Oireachtas, I would hope by November. Mm. In terms of resources, we will provide for that in the budget in a couple of weeks' time. And in terms of clinical guidelines, and I say this I say this knowing that we have a willing community of leaders in, in the medical profession wanting to do this, but we need them to step up to the plate and they will step up to the plate to do that too. So what I intend to do though is bring them all together, uh, all of the stakeholders, the Medical Council, the Institute of Obstetricians and Gynaecologists and the Irish College of General Practitioners in the next week or so um, to, I suppose, check in with where we're at in relation to all of this. You quite rightly say... Uh, up to nine weeks of pregnancy, this is a service that can be provided in general practice. It's a very safe service that can be uh, medically administered through through, through prescription. Mm. Um, we know women are already taking these um, illegally on the inter- through buying them on the internet. But, so but it's there, just is, about, there so is difficulties though for after nine weeks, isn't there? Because yeah. as we heard this week, that ought to be perhaps a supervised service given the, the complications that can arise afterwards. That's exactly, so what do we do That's there? exactly the point. So zero to nine weeks, this is a service that can be safely provided in the community and will resource general practice to do that. From nine to 12 weeks, you will need to be referred to a maternity hospital and that will require some extra resourcing for our maternity hospitals, particularly 
potentially around the area of ultrasounds and we, we accept that as a government and we will resource it. On the question of resourcing and you mentioned there some of the issues that you need to provide for next year um, the supposed fiscal space in the budget is around 800 million euro there may be some more taxes that will give you a little bit more wriggle room um, but you're also facing uh, an overspend in your own department and your own health service of around 600 million allegedly this year does that not mean that you're going to have to have 600 million next year just to stand still? So that if you're going to introduce all these extra services next year, you're going to need more than 600 million, which is, you know, two thirds of all the space that's available to spend in the budget. It's an awful lot to be taken for one chunk of the service. That was an excellent pivot. Um, And you're right. I mean, the health service absolutely uh, will require additional resources this year. Um, And I'm in discussions with Minister Donoghue as how best to do this. Obviously, uh, Gavin, this is not the first year that this has been required. In fact, for many of the last 16 years, it's been, and I don't say this, by the way, as a good thing, Hmm. but it's almost been the norm that our health service has has ran over budget. Why is that? Well, I'll tell you why. I think it's because of the way the health service is structured. If you had an an old car versus a new car, you could be driving an old car that costs a lot more to run. We need to reform the model. The health service is a bit like that. We are treating so many people in our hospitals that in other countries they're treating their community. Uh, We don't have a statutory home care scheme. We need to invest more in our capital infrastructure. Now, the good news for your listeners is we have a plan to address this called Slauncher Care which is a 10 year plan uh, to reform the health service. Will you have the money to implement it though? I believe we will and it's not and it's not all about money and sadly sadly, sometimes the conversation in health becomes just about money. It also has to be investment matched with reform. I'm very confident I mean that we're, we're spending about 15 billion euro on healthcare and by the way some things are improving in our health service. People are living longer with cancer, with strokes, with heart attacks. We have a, a life expectancy that's in advance of the EU average. Um, you know we've seen the number Number of people waiting for hospital operations and procedures fall this year, but we've huge bodies of work to do on things like outpatient. A lot of, the numbers might be falling, but there's still seven hundred and ten thousand people on waiting lists of some sort. It's very I mean, difficult to say that that's a, that's a falling number. No, but the number of people waiting for hospital operations and hospital procedures, hip operations, knee operations, cataract operations, has all fallen. The area that we've a huge body of work to do is in relation to outpatient lists. Now, remember. Outpatient lists were never published in this country till 2014. But we have a huge body of work to do in relation to that. I fully accept that. But what I'm saying is that the conversation about health can't just be about investment. We will require more investment, particularly in the capital area. We have a lot we need to do in capital. But we also need to match that investment with reform. And that's what Sláinte Care has to be about. OK, one other question just on the, on the health service before I let you go on, on broader health issues. Uh, I don't know whether you got to see the, the TV documentary earlier this week about uh, Orla Tinsley. Yes, and I did. The, the attention that has brought to uh, the need for uh, reform and how we deal with transplants and, and donor waiting lists and all of that. Um, you've announced that you want to introduce an opt-out system where effectively, uh, by default, someone's yeah. organs will be available after they die. How long is that going to take? Yeah, look, firstly, I just want to pay tribute to Orla. Um, Not only tribute to Orla for the work she's been doing as an advocate, I would have talked to Orla a lot during when we were trying to introduce her Cambi into Ireland, the, the cystic fibrosis drug. But the work she did with her with her documentary has meant that over 5,000 additional Irish people have signed up to be organ donors this week. So she's done the health service a, a huge help. She's literally saved lives uh, this week. So I want to thank her for that. You're right. I want to introduce uh, the Human Tissue Bill. Uh, the Human Tissue Bill will mean that you're automatically presumed to be happy to be an organ donor unless you, unless you opt out. Now, it's obviously your next of kin always have the final say. This is the norm across the EU. It will save lives. And I intend to go to Cabinet next month in October uh, with the general scheme for the human tissue bill. The length of time it'll take to introduce obviously depends on how quickly we can get it through the Oireachtas. But I think we can make huge progress in this in the next 12 months. Okay, we're going to have to leave it there. Unfortunately, we're out of time. Minister Simon Harris, thank you very much for joining us today on News Talk. Thank you very much. On the record. On the record. On News Talk.